What a moment. What a moment for Taylor Davis. First major league home run. Valiant return of show and go with Taylor Davis is very exciting. And it was a weird regular season where we were we were muscling up and doing it April and May. And then it just didn't make sense schedule wise. But guess what, man? We're going to be on the same schedule. And I'm like excited to do this with you again. Man, we're back. I miss talking ball so much. I miss it so much. Um, yeah, for those who don't know, um, I, last year was my first year coaching, and I had day games all year and a different off day than every other minor league team. So uh, we had no opportunities to to get this done, and um, it was so funny. I feel like every two weeks, like one of us would text the other, like, "Hey, let's try to do something." It was just couldn't, just couldn't do it. It, yeah, it was just like, hey, I can do, you know, anytime after 4 p.m. I'm like, that's when I go to the ballpark. Like, we're screwed. <laughs> so when you get home, I go in. It's, it's you know, when like one part of a of a couple or like a married couple is, a, is an overnight nurse. And it's, hey, like one of them gets the kids up and leaves. And then the other puts the kid to bed and leaves. Like, it's, it was just bizarre. But um, we're going to have a lot of mornings to work with. We're going to have Monday off days to work with, too, which is going to be uh Excellent, man. So I'm excited for this. I'm excited to get your perspective into a hot microphone again, because it's it's really fun to just kind of chat about what's happening in baseball through the lens of a baseball guy. And now a guy that is seeing the next generation kind of come up and, and you've seen the 17 year old that pumps 97 that may not have any idea where it's going now in coaching. And I, I know you had seen that in your minor league ascension and shit you, you got to the big leagues you had a grand slam in the big leagues but it, it's probably a a unique lens through the coaching sphere right oh yeah well i mean i think just in general like taking that job um in the fcl i think you said it like i think we had at one point we had three 17 year olds on our team and all of them are incredibly talented man um but you know i for me that was the first time I'd been below double A since 2014. So, so that was a long, you know, for me, I, when I went into it, I was like, man, the hardest part of this is going to be the kids. I haven't been around kids that age. And it wasn't, um, you know, I, I, we've talked about it before. I just think the athletes are so advanced right now. Yep. It's just going to get better. But overall athleticism is just through the roof. You know, I, I think that we were a pretty good team. We won the division. Um, but I don't know that we were even the most talented team out there. And we had some real, real tools uh, that you can see on display. And, um, you know, guys want to get better. Guys want to learn. And it's a uh, it's a fun it's a fun time. But, yeah, the 17 year olds, the Ethan Salas's of the world, man, those guys are back. So I'm I'm saying like I'm saying this is a 25 year old. Don't get it twisted. Like I'm fully, you know, possibly part of that generation. I'm Gen Z. I don't know. I don't know what they are. But um they are more advanced than ever from a baseball perspective. You're also tasked with teaching these kids how to be professionals. And I feel like that definition has kind of changed. And I see it in college athletics too. Like, dude, the TikTok dances. And I don't say that as like a 60-year-old, but everybody's doing fucking TikTok dances now. It, I mean, it's yeah. bizarre. Yeah. yeah, you got that. I mean, honestly, you know – I think that an underrated aspect of what a lot of these kids go through, because we, for most of the year, I had one, two, at the most, we might've had three um, American position players on the team. Most of them were, were Latin players and man, you know, you're asking these 17 year old kids to go to a different culture. Like, you know, I, I think it would be hard enough if you took a 17 year old here and said, Hey, I'm going to give you a million dollars. I want you to go away from your home and I want you to stay here. These kids are doing it in somewhere. They don't speak the language. Um, they don't, some of these sites as the pirate sites, they don't leave. They're staying at, at pirate city. And, um, you know, it's probably a blessing and a curse, but you know, a lot of these things, it's not only, you know, you're growing as a human being still. And so you have to be cognizant of that as a coach also right? We have to be cognizant about how you discipline these kids and how you don't discipline these kids because you are acting as some sort of a, a father figure-esque um, away from home for these guys. And it's a, it's a, it's a tough line to walk. It really is. 
Yeah, I and I don't envy that possession, but I know that, you know, you you probably did a damn good job this past year and uh it may be back, may not be back, we shall see. But um it's one thing to give a 17-year-old a million dollars and say, "Hey, come stateside and, you know, like play minor league baseball." It's it's another thing and we're going to talk about Otani in a moment, but it's another thing to give a 19-year-old 82 million dollars over the span of 8 years and say, "Hey, go be the center fielder for the Milwaukee Brewers every day. And you've played six games over double a, and that's what Milwaukee just did with Jackson Chorio. And I know that was kind of the thing that kickstarted our conversations again. It was like, Hey man, we got to get on and talk about this shit. Yeah. I mean, the Cheerio one to me, you know, the Cheerio is going to be a super interesting situation for me because you give Jackson Cheerio the extension. Um, Obviously he's incredibly talented. But you give him the extension and you lose Craig Council in the same offseason. Yeah. You've really put your organization in a interesting situation as to what route do we go? Do we try to sell and try to get some some prospects? Because, you know, I think Cheerio could use two years of prob- probably could use two years of, of some type of learning in the big leagues. But you also don't want your $80 million, the, the future of your franchise, to not win as soon as he comes up. That's not what you paid him for. Um, I, I think this is a – I'll be very interested to see what the what the the Brewers end up doing at the rest of the offseason because the Cardinals have made it apparent that they are going to make a push again. They are not going to be the abnormal Cardinals that we saw last year. Yeah. So if that's the case, you know – it. it it's to me where we're at right now. Now the Cubs go spend some money. I think you're in a different spot, but at the time at today, uh, you know, what is it? December 12th or 11th. I think you're looking at the Cardinals and the Brewers as, as being the favorites to win that division. And that's now with that being said, I think you're saying that um, because you're expecting the Cardinals to do more in the, po- in the off season to, to bolster their roster. Yes, uh, they've already done a good bit. And that was Lance Lynn, that was Kyle Gibson. And then the big fish was Sonny Gray, three for 75. And I loved that Sonny Gray signing. And frankly, I like the Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson signings too. But but there's something about Sonny Gray. Like you just signed that guy to be your opening day starter and he's going to be a damn good one. And at a freaking discount, man, three years. And I mean, I know it's a lot of money, but like three at 75 for an an ace. You got a guy, like even... Both sides of it, the AAV and the length to me, um, you know, I, I don't know what Sonny was looking at. I'm not his agent. I have no idea. But just from the outside looking in, that's a really good deal for the Cardinals. A hundred percent. And, you know, yes, it's age 34, 35 and 36 seasons. But I mean, dude, like Scherzer and Verlander were getting paid $40 million in their age 40 season. And those guys are first ballot Hall of Famers. Sonny is not that. But Sonny just put up a sub three ERA. Like I, I wouldn't worry about that. I, I think you know there's two there's two things that I look into with this. One, um, I think that the I'm going to call him the previous generation, and when I say that, I just mean like the, the John Lackeys, the John Lesters, the Cole Hamels, the the Scherzers, the Verlanders. That generation, they did such a good job of proving that you could pitch into your forties. Yeah. that I think that it doesn't scare me now to sign guys into your 40s. And I think you're even, you know, take Garrett Cole. You know, Garrett Cole and Sonny Gray are the same age. And you're looking at Garrett Cole, who is just dominating. Now, what I'll say about Sonny Gray, the other reason that it doesn't scare me is he's not a flamethrower. He's not throwing 100. So, you know, I, and and look, Verlander is throwing 98, you know, but um, I think that I feel much better uh, giving Sonny Gray the ball every fifth day, knowing he's going to go eat six innings for me yeah. and not having to worry about, oh, no, like his velo is down to 94. No, man, he's pitching at 92 to 95. He knows what he's doing. Uh, I, I saw a thing uh, yesterday. I think it was from Pratt's on uh, – was it Foul Territory? Yeah. Talked about how uh, Sonny will make decisions in the middle of his – in the middle of his windup, right? And I'll tell you, there's only one other guy that I've ever heard that could do that, and it was prime Jake Arrieta, who hmm. in the middle of his windup, now he wouldn't decide cutter or four seam, but on his slider, he had a few different shapes 
And as he was going through, he would make the decision during his um, his windup which one he was going to throw to that hitter. Fascinating. Yeah. So, you know, the ability for Sonny to do something like that, he's always been a smart kid, pitched at Vanderbilt. Um, you know, there's so much to like with Sonny Gray. And if you ask people around baseball, they like Sonny Gray. So that helps yeah. also. Yes, it really helps. Um, so St. Louis is primed for a run. I think Chicago is going to be primed for a run, too. I, I do think that they're going to go grab a third baseman. Just reading the tea leaves, it seems like they could either go sign a Matt Chapman or go trade for an Isak Paredes in Tampa. And then you trade go back. and trade what? back. Trade, trade back. back. Yeah, because Paredes, you probably played with him a little bit, right? He was he was under me. OK, but uh, but, I, but yes, I did know him. I saw him in spring training. Um, I was around him a little bit, uh, but yeah, he was either, I think he was like, I was in double A, I think he was in low A, so two, two uh, affiliates under. I love watching him play. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just another example of Tampa doing exactly what they do, finding what they think they know within the analytics, and then just exposing it, right? Exploiting what you do well, um, and ho I know that's what you're hoping to do with Jackson Cheerio, right? Hey, we yeah. gave this guy enough money, we need him to be the center fielder of our future, um, I just, I, 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 like I said, I'm interested for him, for his sake. Are we going to try to win? Are we going to get him in this atmosphere? Where, go ahead. No, no, no. That's the thing. I want to circle back because there are two avenues. Like we are at the fork in the road for the Milwaukee Brewers right now. Yeah. And we've seen them go buy. We've seen them go sell. We've seen them do both. Like hater was a sell move. Winker yeah. at the time was a buy move. Like it. It's just kind of fascinating how they're going about it. Um, and, and I think that there are two groups of players on that roster where you can look at Freddie Peralta, who's on a very team-friendly deal. You can look at Devin Williams, Jackson Chorio, who you just signed to an extension. How about the rest of the young outfielders in, in a Sal Freelick and a Weimer and a Garrett Mitchell? Um, and then you come into the infield and you've got a William Contreras with five more years of control. You look at that, you see what's coming through the pipeline with Mizorowski and with Tyler Black. Like there are enough good prospects here to say, okay, let's sell off the expiring pieces and let's build for 2027. Yeah. But how and, and do you say that? But how do you say that to Corbin Burns and Christian Yelich and well, a guy I, that's just non tendered in Woodruff? I, I, I think that I think that you say that to Corbin Burns by saying goodbye. We're bringing in more prospects for you. But what I think you can actually do for some of these things, and I think that the hater, the hater deal kind of proved it, there are certain teams that understand which valuable pieces on your on your in your organization that you can get rid of at the major league level and still be able to compete. And I think that they've done such a good job of that up to this point. That we that I I really should just trust that that's going to happen again. I wouldn't be scared if you go trade a Corbin Burns. I wouldn't be scared if you get rid of one of the major pieces, because I trust that you're going to get a you know maybe a a high level double A player that's ready at the end of 2024 or he's breaking camp in 2025. That means I can still compete in 2024. Yeah. So I I think that. Um, you know, if that's the way, that, I hope that's how they go. I think Corbin Burns, uh, if you're looking to get somebody to be your ace, I'm not sure why you wouldn't try to just extend him. Just Now he's so close to free agency at this point, I don't, I'm not sure that he would. But, like, you know, we've talked before about how I believe that it's really difficult to win the World Series without a $200 million player, right? And, the you know, the Rangers have more than one $200 million player. I think the same can be said about an ace. It's really difficult to win the World Series without just that, that, hey, I'm giving you the ball on the fifth day. It doesn't matter. It might be the third day in the World Series. You know, and so that Corbin Burns is that guy. Like, he is a bona fide ace in our league. And so I'm not sure – you're going to find what you want at a better price. And I think that you can get Corbin Burns right now, maybe by low somewhat, like by medium, you know, um, he's not at the peak of what he was, but he's going to eat innings and you know who he is and he's comfortable there. Like, yeah. man, uh, I, I, and I, but like I said, at the same point, 
I should trust the system because I think they've done a good job up until this point. You won without Josh Hader, and I think everybody looked at you and went, there's no way you're going to do that. Yeah, but, you know, define win. You know what I mean? Like, they haven't been to the NLCS. They haven't been to the World Series. They haven't won either of those series. So they're winning in the regular season. They're getting there in a division that is not as strong as the AL East or the AL West or the NL West. But they're winning. Like, they're always winning enough to warrant not tearing it down. It all They're winning enough to warrant baseball not getting mad at them. Yeah. So, you know. Which is the Cleveland thing, by the way. Cleveland. Hey, and you know hey. what? I, I've given you this, too. Like, I, Oakland. I know Oakland doesn't spend money, but for a really long time, Oakland made deadline deals. They made offseason pushes. I wasn't mad at them. Never, never were you mad at them. And so I think the same can be said about the Brewers, which, you know, once again, this is just this goes all the way back to to. I I think the goalpost has been shifted for a lot of these teams. It's not win the World Series. It's get to the playoffs. That's the that's the business move for these guys. Hey, how can I get to the playoffs? How do I get 89 wins? Get me to the playoffs. Yeah. And and it's, you know, can you can you blame them? Because you're right. Your fan base is happy. Uh, you're the, the, the players are relatively happy. We're getting to the playoffs. You know, it just, it comes down to the fact that like some people just want to win that last game more than others. And when you get a team like the Phillies that are not content, just doing what they've done the last two years, that's a scary thing to have in this game for the other guys in the NL East. And I would love that, that atmosphere, that base, that old school, and I don't know, but it looks old school baseball to me. Like when I see the Phillies, I love it. Yes. I was going to be pumped with the Phillies or the Rangers winning the World Series this year because obviously the Diamondbacks are in it. But like, I think the Phillies are the baseball team right now, right? Like the the Rangers, I think, are about as close as you can get uh, because of Chris Young. And I think that was extremely important also. You brought a player back in uh, and look what happens. That was so important to me that that happened. You've crossed over with Sam Fold a little bit, right? I, I know the name. I, I I was with the Cubs when he was there, and then actually I I uh I was with Eric Cressy in the off seasons a little bit training, and he was a big Eric Cressy guy. So okay, he was his his first role was like my dream role of like I want to be in the middle of the analytics in the team. I want to be the go between. Hey, players, tell me what you need from the numbers. Numbers, tell me what you need from the players. Let me explain it to both sides. And that's how you do that. That, you know, the information that you get is only as good as you can explain. You know, if you can gather all this data and we can get all this information, but we can't explain any of it, what's the point of having it? Yeah. So I think that was the start of that. Um, And, you know, I think that's what it's going to take for baseball to shift back. Um not that we need to get away from analytics. I don't think that's it. Right. But I think that you can bring everything else back a little bit. You Look, man, you can bring the eye test back a little bit. Jamer Candelario, I, I saw you said the other day, Candelario is going to put up some really good counting stats in Cincinnati. Yeah. You know what? That's going to matter. Like, they're going to win games because he's going to hit 35 homers in Great American. Yeah. So I, I think that things like that are going to come back into play. And and those are important, man. And you can pay for those. And I, I love that you just articulated how we should view the Philadelphia Phillies because that's the that's the sensation I got from them when watching them in the postseason. I was like, wow, they just do it in a more rough and tumble, endearing way. They perfectly embody Philadelphia. And I was like, no, they kind of perfectly embody what I want out of a baseball team where they're paying Nick Castellanos $20 million a year to have like have that out of body experience and be the baddest motherfucker on the planet. And and I just, I love that from him and they have guys that are analytics darlings. Sure. But man, like Zach Wheeler's extension numbers are great and all, but he's not missing spots with his fastball and that's the blend. Yeah. Like Zach, you can do what you can tell me how you want Zach Wheeler to pitch all day long. That dude could throw fastballs down the middle for all I care, and I'm pretty sure he'd get through six. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, you're you're running out Kyle Schwarber every single day hitting 190, and I love it. I love it because he's a leader in that clubhouse. He's got to play every day, and he's hitting 50 home runs. Like, That's he's the doing thing. enough. 
He's doing enough to matter. We needed to stop with the batting average narrative when it came to Schwarber because like 46 homers was 46 homers, man. Like yeah. I don't care if he's hitting a buck 90, he's giving them exactly what they're paying for. And I think, you know, I mean, honestly, when he was in Chicago, the year that he did hit 190, he got sent down. So you saw, and I think he hit like 30 homers that year. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I do also believe that was, uh, love you, Kyle, but I believe he tied, um, the record for the least amount of RBIs ever to hit 30 home runs. Uh, that year, let's see, he hit 30 homers, had 59 driven in, hit 211. Okay, what's the, uh, what's the, there's a fun fact within that. 30 homers, 59 RBIs. Mm-hmm. What, less than double the RBI output? He drove himself in more than he drove others in. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. 30 of those are his. Holy shit. Yeah, that didn't click right away. That's a fun one. Okay. Um, we were but, just you know, talking. So, so you're. The the Cubs and I get it. They I think they were in slightly different spots, but like the Cubs in and Kyle was in a different spot in his career. Um, but he's so and you're hearing you hear from that clubhouse how valuable he is. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, honestly, kind of funny to me, but like you found out how valuable to the Arizona clubhouse Garrett Stubbs was. Oh yeah, uh, or Philly, the Philly clubhouse Garrett Stubbs was. No, you no, found no. out how valuable. What Evan Longoria was to the Arizona clubhouse? Nope, nope. Garrett Stubbs was valuable to the Arizona clubhouse this year. He was playoffs. He wasn't a Diamondback. He was a Philly. Never. He was a Philly. Do you not? He came out and made some statement about the Diamondbacks during the playoffs about how like something like you know you're not going to come in here and win a couple times or something like that. Oh, I didn't see that. Uh, here, let me see if I can pull up the quote. Um, but Lavello loved it. Lavello was like, "It's just firing our guys up." Let's see, uh, one of us will find it first. Yeah. Garrett Stubbs gives Diamondbacks bulletin board material they needed in NLCS. I've seen that pool before, so I know exactly where it is. If we take two here against Arizona, we'll be beelining it for the water. Oh, yeah. He, and here's what Tori Lovello said. They take things personal. I know their backup catcher made a statement about sprinting towards the pool or making a beeline of the pool or whatever. So I think they're wearing that a little bit and motivated by that in regards to his side. That's fun. Yeah. So just a funny, just a funny drop in there. Um, but should we get off the NL Central? Yeah, let's get off the NL Central because we mentioned that the Brewers – are happy with 89 it's seen. that was the that was the biggest contract sign this winter right uh the dodgers were unhappy with 99 and a, a certain guy i i think they won 102 games this year but they didn't win the big one at the end so they decided to give the largest contract ever handed out in professional sports to shohei otani and i just ran through this on the just baseball show so i've got it off the dome but in terms of total money guaranteed to a player in any sport, $700 million is the most. It's over 10 years. There were higher AAVs. I think this is the fifth highest AAV ever. You've got Cristiano Ronaldo and then Kareem Benzema in Saudi Arabia with those yep. new deals that he signed across like two years. You had Messi in Barcelona across a yep. four-year deal. He's making like 168 is that then it was 674 over four years? Yeah, that was messy. Yeah, yeah, like holy shit, man. And then you've got Canelo Alvarez who signed a five-year deal with uh, DAZN, D-A-Z-N, um, for 73 annually. But then Otani at 70 annually. And again, we know it's deferred. We know it's like backloaded, however you want to look at it. Who cares? Passon said it best. 700 million U.S. dollars will go to Shohei Otani over the course of his life. Paid by the Los Angeles Dodgers. Give him give him 20 million for 35 years. Yeah, sure. He's gonna make another 40 a year off the field. He was making more money off the field in Anaheim than he was with his two-year 60 million dollar contract. Yeah. So I did read that uh they're expecting to bring in like 25 million a year just in ad revenue. 
Yeah, I believe that. I And dude, think about the market share that they will now have in Asia. Like it, this is, you know, I, I don't know if we've talked about it before, but this is something that I've talked about when it comes to basketball too, because Rui Hachimura, when he was at Gonzaga, was beloved in Japan. And you go over to Japan right now and you bring up Rui Hachimura, that guy is viewed as a god. I mean, Yao Ming. Yao, Yao Ming, Ming was... in China was viewed as a god. He, like, yeah, he could have been the president. Dude, so it's it's one thing to have a good player. Like Rui's a, Rui's a fine player. Yao was a great player. But it's another thing to have the most talented baseball player we've ever seen. And this guy, like, there are going to be so many Dodger jersey sales. Yeah. And, you know, the other two things I'll give you. One, um, the Dodgers have done this before in another country with Fernando Valenzuela, right? Like, they became the Mexican favorites because of Fernando Valenzuela, I think. The Mariners better hold on to their pants here because there's a chance that the Dodgers become the all-time favorite for for the Japanese as well. The other thing I'll give you is I think this was good for Dodgers PR because you lost a very important member of your your international group last year in Urias that I don't think you're going to get back. No, And I think that this is a, a, a good look for you to bring in an international player. Um, but I think that the Valenzuela stuff, to me, like you could now run a lot of the world. You get Mexico, you get uh, Japan, and you win the World Series, you get America. And man... The other thing, and, and we talked about this like at the very end of last year before we stopped doing podcasts, but um, I, I'll like the first thing that comes to my head when I see that is is what are you doing, San Francisco? Mm-hmm. How if you are the San Francisco Giants, you just lost. Oakland just said they're getting out of your backyard. How you miss out on Correa? You miss out on all those. Uh, who was the other? Who Judge. Was, uh, yeah. You can't. We talked about. You can't. There's no way you miss out on this guy. And once again, my only hope here, I guess, is that you're gonna go get Soto. But like, it's too little, too late now. That freaking yeah. Mookie, Freddie, and and Otani in your oh, division. Oh. In the division, even the Diamondbacks. Like, how hard is it gonna be for the Diamondbacks to get back to the playoffs? Very. And and you've got you know. I just I really feel I, I'm upset that the, the Giants didn't make a bigger push at this. I, I think they needed to for the market that they are, you needed to do something. Yeah, but for the market that they are, they needed to do something. But it's seven hundred million dollars. Heyman Heyman tweeted that he talked to a rival exec and the quote was, I'll tell you our bid certainly wasn't six ninety-nine. And and I I hear that. I agree with it. And you know, we can we can get into how he's going to earn the 700 back for the L.A. Dodgers. Like, I, I think it's pretty clear that this was a good investment by the Dodgers, but yeah. it's still a mind numbing number. And so I, uh, yeah, uh, well, what I was going to say is I don't think the number is at like the investment isn't as scary as the cap hit, like, you know, the the salary cap hit. Yeah, uh, not live, luxury tax. We might as well call it a salary cap. Hit. Yeah. Luxury um, tax. Yeah, the luxury tax hit. Like, that's the scarier part than the money. I don't think the Dodgers were ever – I don't think any team, honestly, was worried about that. Um, I did read somewhere uh, that they thought that, like, he that the Dodgers were $100 million more than the next offer. But then it came out that the Blue Jays were pretty close. So, I think the Blue Jays, they're estimating, were like six fifty to six seventy five, um, probably over that same 10-year span. And if that's the case – I don't I don't blame him. Now there's also rumors that that Bolello kinda may have made the Blue Jays thing a bigger deal than it was to get him more money at the last second from the Dodgers because that's really where he wanted to go. I'll tell you what I think is the funniest part about the whole thing. And I've gotten messages about this, but is like he did it like he he announced it like he was committing to a division two junior college. Yes. A stock picture of the Dodgers and a thank you. Not a picture of him. Like, <laughs> I love it. Like, I think everybody loves Shohei. But, like, man, like, I, Old Row on Instagram posted, like, this, like, list of recruits. Did you see that? No. It was, like, this list of different posts from guys that were committing to these tiny colleges. And in the middle was the Shohei Dodgers. And then there was another one. There was I one. love that. 
It's the largest contract ever signed in sports, and the dude puts it on there like he's going to Montana State. Well, and think about what a Montana State, pretty solid football program, FCS power, Montana State. But let me also say, did you notice the first paragraph of his caption was apologizing for taking so long? Dude, you don't have to say sorry for shit. Like we were just waiting. Like we're good. That was the quickest. That was the quickest seven hundred million dollars sign we ever. I did not expect him to sign in December. To be honest with you, no, I was expecting January. Yeah, I did too. Man, um, something that we actually kind of laughed at on the just baseball side when when he said it. Toronto got bounced by Minnesota in the wild card, and Kevin Kiermeyer had said, you know, he was asked, like, you know, what what his free agent process is going to look like. And he said, I'm going to wait for Shohei to set the market, and then and then we'll let the chips fall where they are. And, you know, like, we made fun of Kevin Kiermeyer for that. We were like, dude, like, Shohei, Shohei has no bearing on you. But I had a good conversation with, with Walker Bueller on the Just Baseball show, and he was like, well, it kind of does, because it creates this big domino effect. Because now LA's got $700 million committed to this guy over 10 years. Um, in terms of luxury tax, right? Or, you know, I, the deferrals may bump that down to 50 a year. So it's still like 500 committed over 10 years. Right. But it, it creates this pigeonhole that the Dodgers are now in financially. And other teams that were in the Otani sweepstakes can now back off and say, okay, we can, instead of pouring all of our eggs into one basket, we can pour 20% of our eggs into five different baskets. Um, so I, I do think that it has unfortunately, unfortunately for you, your five baskets are worth about half as much as that one basket. Uh, less than half. Far Value less than wise. Half. Yeah. But I'll say this too. Like, I do think that, um, you know, this is such a unique signing. Um, and we talked about it, but like, I think normally a team, I think when, when, when the Yankees sign Aaron Judge, and I, I think Aaron Judge is fantastic, but I think when the Yankees sign Aaron Judge for three hundred and sixty whatever million, yeah, I don't think, like, I think you're still kind of concerned with making that money back. Yes, I don't think when you sign Otani to a billion dollar contract, like, I don't think they're worried about that seven hundred million. I don't think this may be the first contract ever that, like, I think they sign that and they're like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, we're we're gonna have to pay attention to this the luxury tax. But we're not worried to spend more money because this is going to bring us so much money that we're okay. And my next question to you, well, actually, I want to make this comment. There was a funny Brandon Belt All-Star. Did you see the Brandon Belt All-Star Shohei comment? No. So during, before the All-Star game when they were like uh, – or like right when they announced the All-Star thing, Brandon Belt was like, yeah, I guess uh, I guess I'll have to sit there and watch uh, who's the DA. I, Shohei's the DA. I guess they're gonna have to sit there and watch him hitting my spot. But uh, whatever works, you know, something like that. So it's funny that another Blue Jay made a comment. But um, uh, my next question to you was gonna be, what do the Dodgers do now? Because they're not done. They can't be done. I think it's Yamamoto. So okay, so this brings us to the to the point. If you're a team. Are you taking any chance at all? Are you? Is there any chance in the back of your mind that Sasaki comes over here? So we were talking about this before I hit the record button, and like, no, I think the answer is no. He asked to be posted. He asked his MPB team, the Chiba Lote Marines, to to be posted. And the way that system works is you have to have six years under your belt and be twenty five or older to sign a major league contract. The posting fee, I've got the math on my Twitter, but it's something like, you know, 20% it's of the first the contract signed. Yeah, it's per the contract signed. So the Chiba Lote Marines would make far more money if they waited until he was 25 to post him. Like, it, Right. They're, well, they're not going to post him, but I don't think that's the question because, well, I shouldn't say they're not going to post, but I thought – at least what we talked about this, but I read that he had the same out that Shohei did where he could sign a minor league deal. Yeah. So I just, I don't know if that's an out. Like I, I know that it's, it's a mutual decision to let that happen. So I don't know. How do you let Shohei do it and not let Sasaki do it? I'm not sure. I, and that's honestly something that I'll look deeper into. And next time we, we hop on, I'll, I'll have a better answer for you. But my understanding of like reading this was, 
they're not going to grant it to him because it's so late. They have four days to post him. The deadline to post is December 15th. I don't think they're going to do it. He's 22 years old. As of right now, it looks like we may have to wait three years and then get that $300 million deal for Sasaki to come through. Um, if Yamamoto is a $250 million pitcher, it seems like Sasaki is going to be a $300 million pitcher, yeah. especially with how contracts will change over the next three years. But um, yeah, the, the the language right now is he would have to sign a minor league deal. And Otani signed a minor league deal. It was like a two-year deal or something but he had a $2.3 million signing bonus. And I think that then, a portion of that posting fee. And then in the contract, you cannot get extended early. Cause that was always the fear with Shohei was that somebody was going to sign him. And then the day after they signed him, they were going to extend him. Yeah. And so you can't do that. And you can't even do it like really within the year, maybe even two years. Um, Sasaki is just so fat. I mean, Sasaki is Jacob deGrom, right? Like Sasaki is prime Jacob deGrom stuff pitchability, like the whole thing. So like, I, I just, he's fascinating to me, but so back to Yamamoto. So Yamamoto goes to the Dodgers. Do they re-sign Kershaw? They re-sign Kershaw. It's a good question. Like, yes, out of principle alone, Clayton Kershaw is not going to pitch for another team that isn't the LA Dodgers. I firmly believe that. You don't think he'll pitch for the Rangers? No, I think he's going to pitch not? for the Dodgers his entire career. Just to do it? Just to do it. He's a Dodger, man. Like he is, this is unfortunately, I don't want to say limp to the finish line because he had an ERA in the low twos this year, but like he's getting hurt all the time. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's relatively unavailable. So, so let's, room. let's push him into that role that, that we talked about last year. Let's push him into that. Like, Hey Clayton, I want you to throw four innings every four days. So we're going to put you on a different schedule. So, all right, you've got, you've got a design piggybacker with Kershaw. You've got Bueller, Bobby Miller. Um, Say they get Yamamoto. Say they sign Yamamoto. Okay. So it would be Kershaw and a piggyback. Let's call it Got Kershaw and Sheehan. Call it Kershaw and Gonsolin. Uh, I mean, Gonsolin's out this year with TJ. Oh, okay. 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 So toughy, but call it Kershaw and Sheehan, right? Then you call it Bueller. Then you call it Yamamoto. Then Bobby Miller. That's already four. And then you just need Gavin Stone or Yarbrough or Pepio or, or you go get yeah up. or you go get the the next Kyle Gibson you go get something like that yeah, just go grab Somebody a guy in one year yeah go get Lucas Giolito but I don't like I'm not a huge Lucas Giolito guy but I wouldn't mind him for that role um, I, I my concern is if you do that. We're not positive that Walker is going to be good for 200. This Well, we know he's not going to be good for 200, right? Like, he's going to be limited. Now, how limited, we're not sure. I don't think he's going to get hurt again, but I don't think you're going to let him go seven for 33 starts. No, I don't think so. But, you know, in this age of baseball, I think if you got 160, 170 innings out of him, you're happy. I think you're more than – no, without question. You get 170 out of Walker Bueller, you're thrilled. Do you get 170 out of Walker? Do the Dodgers allow him to get to 170? That's my question. I think the answer is yes. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then I, then I think that what you just laid out is great. I I think if I think I my early hot hot take is that uh, what Kershaw throw last year like 130 innings. I think so. 125, 130. Uh, my hot take for the year is that's where we're going to see Walker Bueller next year. Interesting. And I love Walker Bueller, and I hope they let him throw 250 innings. I just think that where baseball is and where you are as the Dodgers, you can't afford to not have Walker Bueller in September. You know what I mean? You can't yeah. afford to not have him in October. We got 131 from Kershaw. Okay, go do me a favor. Go to Stroman. Go look at Marcus Stroman. Tell me what he did the year after TJ, because he was one of the he he threw a ton of innings that year, and it was a big deal. Stroman went. It was twenty twenty one, right, with the Mets. He went no innings pitched, and then uh, uh, yeah, I believe it was the Mets, but he went no innings pitched. He missed a year, and then he came back. He opted out during the COVID year. Maybe that. Was that I thought? Did he not have a year where he missed and then, um, because he talked about it on his uh, 
on some, you know. Some yeah, game. I think he opted out during the pandemic, and then he came back and threw 179 innings. Okay, so it was just that. Um, yeah, that's that's what it looks like. Because it doesn't look like there were any other 15. Yeah. So he threw 179. So so just for reference, I believe 179 was the most after throwing zero the year before. Yes. So let's split the difference and say 150. Because I do think that a 28-year-old Walker can do that. 100%. I think it, I think Walker Bueller could throw 200. Oh yeah. The 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 stuff the stuff that you have to go through, people have no idea. The rehab and stuff that you have to go through once you get TJ, the reason you come back throwing harder typically is because you haven't done that much work to to make yourself throw better. Yeah. Um but that being said, all I was getting at was if we're Will looking the Dodgers at the, let him. Yeah. If yeah, but in like if because if we're looking at that 130 mark. I think you're right. You're spot on with Kershaw. Like, I think 130 is about what you're going to get out of Clayton Kershaw at this point. You're going to get a really, really good 130, but you're going to get 130. That being said, I'm not sure you can afford to have two starters giving you 130 if you're the Los Angeles Dodgers right now, especially if you don't get Yamamoto. Right. You know, well, especially because Kershaw is going to be out, I think, through the All Star break with the shoulder true. issue. That's true. So you're you're looking at that right off the bat. You've got no Julio Urias. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of stuff into play there um, where there's just a lot of pieces for the Dodgers that you really won't know until the middle of the year. And, and quite frankly, that rotation is, is not good enough to win the World Series right now because there's a big drop-off. Like, you've got, okay, say Kershaw comes back in the break. You've got Kershaw, Bueller, Bobby. After that, man, like, I don't, are you relying on – Sheehan to start game four of the world series. Like, I don't think you can right. do that. Right. I, and honestly, like, I, I think that now let's make this, let's make this known. Also, this is a one year deal because next year you're going to have an ACE. Yeah. In 2025, you're going to have Shohei Otani at number one. Yeah. So, uh, but for this year, for 2024, I'm with you. And now this is drastically different to me than the Juan Soto deal, because you don't have to win this year with Shohei. You want to. I think the Dodgers want to win every year. Yeah. The Yankees have to win this year. Have to. Um, and I have no idea how they're going to do that. But, you know, which is honestly, I really didn't like the Blue Jays for Shohei because I just think that that division right now is so talented and it's so up in the air Yeah. that if you're the Blue Jays and you sign Shohei, there is no – there's no for sure that you're going to be making a push every year just because that, you know, especially now that the Red Sox are going to apparently try to spend money and win. Yeah. Like they were the worst team in that division and it wasn't very close. Yeah. So, and the Yankees, I think, have starting pitching issues too, especially after moving King and Vasquez. Like everybody moved in that Soto deal. They traded their pitching like reserves. It, it was crazy. Yeah. I was a. Were you surprised to see Austin Barnes moved? Austin Barnes. I, at least I read. I read that uh, that was the last move. You saw that the Yankees are taking two more players from the Dodgers. Yeah, on that forty man. Um, let me. Oh, never mind. Sorry, I read it. Okay, never mind. Never mind. It's not. It's not him. It's no. Like, it's uh. It's Trey Sweeney to the for Dodgers Victor for Rivas and, and Victor Gonzalez. Yeah. Yeah, I I thought I read yesterday it was uh like Clark Schmidt for um Miguel Vargas and Austin Barnes. Oh no way! I was that like, how do you get rid of Austin Barnes? Yeah, that would have been nuts. Also, you can't get rid of Vargas. <laughs> no um, shame. But yeah, that's uh, and actually, the get Trey Sweeney, I believe, is from Louisville. So I little connection there. Sweeney? Um, yeah, I think he's from Louisville. I think he's from this area, and he played at Eastern Illinois, which is in my conference, but. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that 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 AL East is just so talented with the with the where the Orioles are. Um, do they extend Gunner and Jackson, Gunner or Jackson? Uh, I think they extend Gunner. What are you giving? I think Before something very close to the Carroll deal. It's got to be more. Long. Does it have to be? Has to be more. He wins the Rookie of the Year before he gets the contract. It's got to be more. But Carroll does have a higher floor than Gunner. My also, argument... Sweeney went to St. X. Yeah, Sweeney's a Louisville kid. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, he has a higher floor because of the the defense and the running, but I, I just I I here's what I'll give you too: the protection's better in Baltimore. He's going to get pitched to more in Baltimore. Yeah, I, I I just would find it hard to believe that you would pay Corbin Carroll. They were similarly rated players, different talent, uh, different talents, but similarly rated players. I would find it hard to believe that one wins an award, one doesn't, and one gets an extension for you know what I mean? Yeah, with one less year of service. And one less award. Yeah. Cause he hadn't won that award by the time he did it. Now he came up and showed that he could do it, but it was in a sample size. If Gunner had signed that deal last offseason, I'm good with that. And I probably give you less money, Gunner. Sorry, Gunner, I love you, but I probably give you less money. Then I give Corbin Carroll because of what you just said. It's a safer bet. He runs and he really plays defense. Well, now Gunner's shown you that he can play shortstop for you for sure. in, as, as a contender. And he did it. He went out there and he and he had adversity. He struggled to start the year. Yeah. So I I think you're to the point now where, yeah, I don't think you're looking. I think you're looking more than Corbin. I think you're looking at – go ahead. No, so I ask you like – have we seen that struggle from Carroll? No. So can the Orioles uh, use that? Can the Orioles use that against Gunner? It's like, hey man, like we've seen what the bad looks like. And then on Carroll's side, like there's been no bad. Uh Carroll was Carroll had a had a had a little like middle of the year last year, I do believe. But I'm with you. Although my argument, if I'm uh if I don't even know who his agent is, let's just say his agent's for us. I'm sure it's not. But if I'm Gunner's agent, um I'm looking at you and I'm saying, at my worst, I was playing for you every single day. Carroll's worst year, Carroll's worst month this year was an 800 OPS and he was nine for 10 in the stolen base department. What a joke. What a joke, man. I hate those kind of kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're too good. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> but like, you know, I think that's my, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm Gunner, I'm coming back to you and I'm saying, look, I, I don't disagree. I had a, t- you know, there was a tough stretch, but I played for you every single day and we won the division. And at my worst, I was playing for you every single day. So I think that's your argument. Um, I don't know what it looks like. Like, could you give Gunner an eight at 150? Oof. Yeah. Could, but like, Carroll signed eight at 111. I think it's eight at 125, eight at 130. So eight, but here's your, so here's the big difference. The eight at one eleven was less one year of service. You're buying one more year of free agency from Gunner. Yeah. So you're buying one year of free agency at thirty eight million dollars, in essence. Yeah. I don't know. It's tough. Five years. So it's it's you're buying out three free agent years if you do this. You're, so let's say you do eight at one fifty with two team options at thirty apiece can max out at 10 and 210. And that is five free agent years and five, uh, what, three or... Open market years. Yeah. I like it. I mean, if, let's just, okay, Gunner continues on this track, he gets a five-year at 150. That is more than doable. That yeah. means that they're paying him five for 60 for the next five years. Yeah, that was, that's excellent. That's what I mean. That that very much plays. Five at 60 for the next five, and then at the end of that five, he's a free agent, you sign to a five-year 150. Yeah, I think I'll do that. The kid's going to be 28. Damn. Okay. Yeah, hey, you just you just masterclassed the shit out of that. Good on you. Last thing for you. Um, Blue Sharpie. I just saw a video. I, I saw a video about um, yeah, Patrick Beverly talking about uh, – how he learned, I think a year into his NBA career, that you should never sign in blue Sharpie, only black or silver, because blue can be easily transferred from jersey to jersey or ball to jersey, and it can kind of duplicate your signature and create that selling issue that everybody like doesn't want to run into. Had you ever that heard that sense. before? I I I don't know that I've ever heard that. I know that like certain guys like will only sign with certain color pens just to do it, right? Like, yeah. hey, I'd normally sign a baseball with a black pen. I'm going to sign with a blue pen. 
Um, I've had people that have run into that issue. I've had people who've had their signatures and, and stuff taken. Yeah. You know, I mean, for so long, um, you know, when, when you go to places, so many people, even, you know, you'll get mailed stuff, but like people will send you these like blank cards. And I never signed the blank cards because I was always so scared that why would I give, why would I just hand you my signature? Um, I will say some guys I think have multiple signatures when they know what they're doing, right? Some guys are going to, Hey, this is a bulk deal. This is for a, you know, a collect, this is for a, a guy that I don't really like. Well, you're not going to get the expensive signature. You're going to get, but Hey, I'm donating something to charity. You, you're getting the big dog. Um, but that's wild. Blue Sharpie. I wonder what it is. I wonder if it's like the, is it special ink or something? I have no idea. I like, I just saw it and I was like, I got to ask Taylor about this. Is this yeah, something? No, that I've never known? heard that. Cause I've signed a lot of stuff with blue Sharpies. Thanks to the Cubs. You're so, probably screwed, man. I'm well, good news is I don't have any money anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> it, I don't know what they're going to take. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Love it. Uh, TD, this was, this was great to get back on and do this shit, man. Awesome. I'm so pumped to be back. You're looking forward to keeping this thing rolling. We will, uh, Talk to you guys soon again. Uh, every link you need is in the episode description. Go shop, like go get some holiday gifts. Right, we've got. Yeah. I uh, I recently shipped a couple of boxes to our uh, to our office in New York with just hoodies and shirts out the ass. So if you guys want a just baseball hoodie or a just baseball shirt, just go buy one in our in our lake tree. All right, we'll get you one for free. But everybody else, just go buy one in our lake tree. See you guys.